Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Father, once again, we, we sincerely make the choice to keep ourselves from distraction and to yield ourselves to your voice, to your spirit, to your grace. I will never tire of praying Ephesians 1. Father, would you please grant each and every one of us a stronger measure of your spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes. Open, open, open the eyes of our understanding so that we might actually see what is the hope of our calling. That we might see what is the exceeding greatness of the power you said that is toward us according to the power that you wrought in Christ Jesus when you raised him from the dead. That's an incredible thing. So, Father, we believe we receive wisdom in Jesus' name. We incline our ears toward you and your word. And we believe that every thought you have about us is a good thought. I believe it because I've read it. And I see it now. That's why I thank you, Father. There's no more shame, no more fear. Your love has cast out fear. And that we can walk before you, Father, with a good heart, with a glad heart, knowing that we have already won. Hallelujah. I'm a winner and that I'm in Christ Jesus and my life is hid in you. So I'm a blessed, blessed man in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Last week, or not last week, Julie spoke, but oh yeah, pray for me too. Next week, I'm speaking in another church in Himmel Hempstead. So Julie's going to speak next week, but do pray for me about that meeting, okay? Um, a couple of weeks ago, I made mention again about this issue between we're in John 15, 15. Actually, go ahead, let's put John 15, 15 up again, if you would, where Jesus makes this statement to his disciples. It says, I do not call you servants or slaves any longer. For the servant does not know what his master is doing or working out. But I have basically, it says, I have now called you my friends. Now, you got to stop right there. You know the part of my life message has always been the blood covenant. Again, I, I, I've said this so many times, I need to probably follow through and actually teach the, teach at the church, teach this, but Covenant, blood covenant is a language. Blood covenant, covenant is something in scripture that is billions of light years more important than we today understand. We really have no comprehension of the seriousness of what it means to enter into a covenant. Of the glory that it means to, to come into a covenant, what it really stands for. A covenant is not a contract. Now listen, a contract, I'll define this in very simple terms. A contract is like when two people come into agreement and they're bound by law. They're bound legally because it's a contract. But a covenant is when people come into agreement because of a binding of God. In other words, it's not just something that's legal in the world. It's something that's before God Almighty. It's a covenant that is beyond earthly understanding. It's a covenant that causes a devotion, a loyalty, 
to one another, to the ones that you're covenanted with, that goes way beyond human interpretation. It's an incredible thing. Now, friend, I want to talk about it a bit. The word friend in Scripture, again, means, you know, billions of times more than we understand. Today we say the word friend, we say friend, friend, friend. But the fact of the matter is we have no understanding of what the biblical meaning of friend is. Friendship is way beyond you knowing, you know, knowing somebody's name. In the world, you have many, many acquaintances, but you'll have very few friends. In fact, I can assure you of this. At the end of your life, you'll be able to count your true friends on one hand. Because that's the difference. There are many, many acquaintances, many people that you meet. But the intent of Scripture is a friend means it's a covenant word. It's literally a covenant word. When the disciples heard Jesus, you see, we just... But when the disciples heard Jesus say, now I call you friends, it excited them, it moved them, it totally blew their minds in actuality because it meant something far stronger to them than it does to us today. And see, you've got to begin to see this. Jesus has just said, we're his friends? We're his friends. So I want to just talk about that a little bit, but let me finish the verse. I do not call you servants or slaves any longer, for the servant does not know what his master's doing or working out. But I have called you my friends. And think it, I don't, I don't know how you skim over this stuff. We all skim over it too much. I've called you my friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. And the Amplified says, I've revealed to you everything that I've learned from him. Have you ever actually stopped? Is that true? Jesus said, I've made known to you everything. Can that possibly be true? That Jesus said, I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. But do you understand how profound that statement is? And if that's true there, then because of John 17, however, one in him, he's one in us. Do you understand that somehow, some way, listen, you see, you've got to go deeper than casual thought. Within us, you've heard me say similar things to this before, but within us right now, we have every single bit of wisdom that the Father ever showed to Jesus. Some of you are already thinking about McDonald's. Give me a break, man. Now listen to me. This is what I said about, you know, the, the un, really meditating. You see, you have to believe before you ever see, remember? You have to believe before you can ever receive, right? Right? That's not new. That's not brand new news for us. See, you have to believe you have the wisdom of God before you'll ever have the wisdom of God. The Holy Spirit, I, use, I always love thinking about this. You've heard me say this again many times. Genesis, you know, when you read Genesis 1, you know, the earth was without form and void, and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the earth. And then God spoke and said, light be. And the Holy Spirit, Isaiah 42 says, gathered those words and made light. And in other words, the Holy Spirit gathers what God says and uses what God says as fuel to create with. Right? To me, that's phenomenal to understand. 
But what really blew my mind is when one day I was in, I was reading or in prayer, I don't remember, you know, 20 years ago, and God said, what Holy Spirit is in you? <laughs> I went, Duh, uh, I there was only one. And he said, yeah, that's right. But he said, is the Holy Spirit in you the same Holy Spirit that's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 and 3? And I, you know, I'm just saying it hit me. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, just in my little childlike thinking, I suddenly go, my God, the one on the inside of me has been around forever. From before creation itself. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit is within me. And of course, then in 1 Corinthians 2, you know, Paul talks about how the, that God, by his Spirit, has revealed to us all things that the Father has done. What flesh, what flesh and blood cannot see, what ear has not heard, what eye has not seen, all that God has made ready for us, God has revealed, God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. Hallelujah. This is why I think, as Julie was just mentioned, communing, fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit is our number one job right now. To really understand what it means to commune with Him. Stop. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Speak. Ask Him. He, he actually is our friend as well. We're in covenant with Almighty God. And because of that covenant, He loved us so much, He gave us His Spirit. The very Spirit of God has been deposited in us. Hallelujah. So the one on the inside of us knows everything, doesn't he? I didn't say you did, but he does, right? Come on, are you with me? This, the one on the inside of you knows the answer to any given issue you will ever be confronted with. The one on the inside of you has the answer, has the solution to any and every issue you will ever have a, uh, need, a need an answer for. The Bible says the Holy Spirit searches the deep, the hidden, and the profound things of God. He's the one that searches. One guy said the Holy Spirit is the best search engine there is. He knows how to search out exactly what we have need of. So learning how to yield to the promptings of the Holy Spirit is what it really means to hear God. To actually hear God. Because he's in you. If you're born again, you're born of the Spirit. And of course, then where there's another baptism called the baptism in the Spirit. And that just means, like Paul shared, you know, when you're full. And when you're full, you overflow. And that's why the first initial sign is speaking in tongues. But what I've had to really learn too, and you know, I've been reading a lot, studying a lot of things. Is that This is not actually, I'm getting off already, but I'm do my, I will come back. But it is true. I remember my thought process way back when, 25, 30 years ago. Well, actually 30-some years ago, before 30 years, yeah. The way we were taught, I kind of felt like that being filled with the Holy Spirit was a one-time event. Uh, I, I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I spoke in tongues, and I kind of, you know, I didn't say it, but I kind of, well, I guess that's it. I'm filled. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. You know what I mean? But it's not a one-time event, because I read that in Acts 2, when they were all filled, then I read in Acts 4, Paul was filled again. There, You have to stay filled. You have to keep asking, fill me afresh, fill me afresh, fill me afresh, because when overflow stops, you need more. That's some, that comment, that statement, you need to think through much and much more. You need more. 
because we do leak. We're human vessels, and stuff leaks out of us, and we have to continue to be filled and filled more. That's why we stay in the Word. That's why we stay in prayer. And again, that's why praying in tongues is so incredibly powerful. But nevertheless, the one on the inside of you knows the answer to everything. But it's the one on the inside of you that Romans says, the spirit that produces sonship. Yielding and moving and listening and learning how to hear the Holy Spirit is what produces, produces, produces more and more revelation of the fact that you and I are sons and daughters of God. But even beyond, you see, relationship comes this issue that he goes beyond the fact that you're a son and daughter of God. Now, it is beyond when you understand covenant into a place where now we're not only sons and daughters, we're friends. And the Bible actually speaks of friends who stick closer than a brother. Because that's, a lot of people don't understand what those comments mean. It speaks of a relationship that's stronger than had you been born of the same mother's womb. I always give this illustration. It's the best one I think there is in about the blood covenant. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, well, you know what they say, blood is thicker than water, right? And what's the first thing you think of when you hear that phrase? Well, what, do, what, what is it referring to? Blood is thicker than water. What's the first thing we most normally say? Family, kinship. But it means exactly the opposite. Have you ever asked yourself, listen to the statement, blood is thicker than water. Have you ever asked, what water? Right? And it speaks because when you study, you find out it's the water of the mother's womb. So what is re what's really being said is this, that when, you're, when you enter into a covenant by blood before God, you have entered into a relationship that makes you closer to that covenant partner than had you been, than even to closeness to somebody that's born of your own family. That's what it means. I said, that's what it means. The Arab countries say blood is thicker than milk. It means the same thing. But this covenant issue is incredible. He, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends now. Like I said, this blew their minds because it meant something far deeper than you and I understand today. But we are, and God only called two people his friend in Scripture, and that was Abraham and Moses. And then Jesus here calls his disciples friends, and that's the only place that talks about it because of an incredibly honoring, overwhelming truth to be called into covenant friendship with God. The benefits bestowed upon you because of friendship far outweighed anything that any other people's had, any other employees had, anybody in relationship had, because it didn't even come close to what it meant to be in covenant. And see, this is why it's such a mind-blowing thing to begin to understand that you and I, through this communion that we just spoke about, through the blood and the body of Christ, all the terminology, all of it speaks of a covenant much bigger than a contract. Remember what I said, a contract is legally binding, but a covenant is being bound by God. God comes in and does the binding. And what God joins together, no man can cut asunder. You hear me? So I'm going to just read some. So I'm just going to try to read some of the notes that I put down here about this. Like I said, it's a 
Just be patient with me for a moment. The thing about Jesus, I'm going to say this first, is he not only gave his life for us, of course, he ever lives to make intercession for us, right? And God, but the, it struck me all those years ago, God, Jesus didn't just give his life for us. He's still giving it today by being there at the right hand of God, being our high priest, the one who takes our offerings and turns and offers them to the Father. But, uh, um, sorry, I just get caught up in the saying it begins to get to me. But Jesus not only did that, but Jesus actually, through this friendship, what he did is he actually brought us into his life, right? I said he brought us into his life. Again, in Romans, the Bible says that God, or excuse me, in Ephesians, it says he gave us the very life of Christ himself. Now, this is part of God's original plan. And I know you've heard this before, but really think, I don't think. Why did God create man? When you really think about it, God is omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's evidently, he's always been something our earthly brain can't compute. But he's always been. He's in the eternity of the eternities, it says. And I repeat, on earth, you and I will never be able to define that. These are some of the deep things that are hidden from us. But the point is, the little bit that we know about God, that we read about his all, you know, this omniscience of God, the El Shaddai, the God is more than enough, the almighty God. Why did he even make man? And of course, the simplest, the only way we in our puny human minds can talk about, and the only thing we can say is, well, he made us because he is good. And he wanted people, he wanted beings to experience good along with him. Now, again, you got to stop and think on this. He did not create any human being for failure or for pain. In fact, in Isaiah, it literally says, I created man for my glory. Think, I created mankind for my glory. He had a plan from the beginning. He created us for fellowship. He created us because he is love. And remember that old statement, it's, it still remains true. Love can never be satisfied until it gives itself away. Love, by the very nature of what love is, is only satisfied when it gives itself. Love is not about consuming. Love is about giving. And because God is love, everything about him wants to give. Everything about him wants to do good. And this is, again, give you, it begins to give you insight into what a friend is. See, a friend today, like I said, you may have many acquaintances, but a friend is somebody that you can share with. A friend is somebody who, you know, you can talk about stuff with. A, a, a servant is somebody who just needs, like I said before, a servant understands that they have tasks that they need to carry out and they need to be obedient to. But see, that's not the mindset of a friend. A friend doesn't think about tasks. A friend thinks about just being a friend. A friend thinks more along the lines of, because this other guy is my friend, I don't want to disappoint him because we have a friendship. We have a friendship. So I don't want to disappoint him. It's not about me obeying what he says to me to do. But I'm going to be there because I don't want to disappoint him. 
In other words, your entire mindset shifts towards this. And you see, you have to have this shift in your mindset, otherwise you will be religious. You will be in church looking for things to do still because those things to do are what qualify you to be loved by God. And that's the Mary and the Martha thing, like I mentioned, again, whenever I spoke a couple of weeks ago. You know, Mary chose that good part. She sat at Jesus' feet while, Mary, while Martha was in there making sandwiches. And Martha wasn't wrong, but she wasn't really giving heed or precedence that had, to what had real importance, and that's to be in the presence of God. And again, I quoted what Mike Bickle said. I think it's an incredible statement. Let me see if I can get it here real quick. See on my individual, my light here. What did he say? Oh, yeah, Mike Bickle said, There are lovers and there are workers, but lovers always get more done than workers because a passionate lover always wants to do more for the one he loves. He'll work harder because of his love than someone who just works because he's supposed to. See, this is why any good pastor can recognize people who actually love God and love the church because of their attitude. You can always tell. And you know, you can check on that. You know other people's attitude. You can tell when people are doing things because, quote unquote, I'm supposed to. As opposed to people who do things because I just want to be a blessing. I just, I mean, I want to be a blessing. You know what I mean? And sadly, we've all been there, but the moment you have that attitude about, oh my God, well, I got to go do this, you just stay at home. <laughs> because again, it won't, it won't, you won't be blessed from that work. You won't be blessed from that service. Neither do you, and you actually, I better be careful. I don't think I'm going to say that. Never mind. But I mean, this is, this is the difference. And this is why, you know, God wants us to serve Him. That's true. But he wants us to esteem what is precious. This is why when he saw when Mary sat at Jesus' feet, see, she knew she could be in the kitchen too. But because Jesus was there, I'm going to be there. I'll I'll have time for that later. And this is why, like even in a church like this right here, you see, I. I love it when I see the guys in the back like Femi and Jeff and Deji and all the guys what have you, doing what they do, you know, helping, what have you. But when it comes time for the Holy Spirit, when it comes time for worship, or when it comes time for the Word of God to be spoken, that's when, okay, I know I'm, you know, my, my post is back here, but now it's time for me to hear the Word of God. Now it's time for me to worship. I'm going to be more aware because I tell you, you'll get more done. This church, as far as like, they're called the shield team, you know, there's a form of security. We'll be far more secure. I said, we'll be far more secure if we're actually loving God than we will be by not even listening to God and just standing at the door looking big. You know, you hear what I'm trying to say? It's friendship. But it's a level of friendship, like I said, you've got to just forget the definition of the earth gave you for friends. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do, the classic, of course, the whole Bible point is always mastered in the situation with David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18. You know, how they cut a covenant together. And how they, you know, I could go through all the thing about the exchanges of clothing, the exchanges of armor, the exchanges of weapons and all this. But basically what happens in a covenant is literally, like Julie and I, a marriage is supposed to be a covenant. 
when we entered into covenant, basically everything that's mine is now Julie's, and everything that's Julie's is now mine. And there was an exchange, like rings. You've heard me say this wedding ring, remember? In covenant, when you read like the study of the book, I think Blood Covenant, H. Clay Trumbull, which again is the classic where you really learn ancient how Blood Covenant is at the heart of every ancient civilization. It was the binding knowledge of any and every tribe that where mankind exists. It's about blood and covenant. But again, when a man and a woman entered into a covenant, those days, remember, you've heard me say, they cut all around the man's thumb. They cut and cut and cut and cut with a sharp instrument. Then they rubbed gravel or they rubbed sand or dirt or grit in there until when it healed, there was this huge swollen scar around their thumb. That was the ring. That meant everywhere that guy went when he held his hand up, everybody knew that guy was in a covenant with somebody somewhere, with a woman somewhere. They were in a covenant. And like we always say when we teach on it, you don't take that ring off very easy. You can't. But see, that's the depth of covenant. But today, eh, it's a contract. Marriage is a contract. I don't like her. I'm just going to split and go find somebody else. That's why God hates divorce. Because it's, a, it's far more, it causes far more pain because it's a spiritual thing. There's a ripping and a tearing that takes place in the spirit because it's a spiritual act, marriage. But a covenant is, like I said, this kind of deep. And this is what friendship really means. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I'm calling you friends because I'm making known to you everything that heaven has taught me. And you know what? He has done that past tense. Now it's done. It's in you right now. You see, if you don't, it's the old story. If you have a million pounds in the bank and you never make a withdrawal from it, it'll never do you any good. I mean, would you like to, the day before you die, find out that you have 15 million pounds in your bank account? You go, oh my God, had I known. But see, that's the whole principle of what Scripture is about. God is intent upon getting us to know what we already have through the blood of Christ. He created us. He created man for his glory. He created us in his likeness, in his image. When you study those verses, it's an incredible thing. And when you study these lexicons about it, it says we were not meant, we were not created. God's word says we weren't, likeness and image means this. It, well, let's put it this way. It doesn't mean to be a representative. We are not to be a representative of God. The Hebrew actually speaks to this. We're to be representational. Now, that's what's the difference? Well, you can be a representative of some company, but you're not the company. But to be a representation, you're a reproduction of God himself. That's our job. Where we have Christ in us, the very hope of God being glorified. But we have to learn how to let Christ out of us. Hallelujah. And again, all this is wound about by first us believing that, then this is why you get in the Word. This is why you pray. This is why you spend time and worship all of these things. Because we're not servants. We're not just robots going around obeying commandments. God hated that. 
That's why Jesus came, took them out of the way, and nailed those commandments to his cross, and pronounced today that we are now sons and daughters of God. We're free, and we're friends of God. We're friends of God. Hallelujah. Let me just go through a couple other points here. I have just a couple of little things I thought were cute. You can always tell a real friend when you've made a fool of yourself. He doesn't feel like you've done a permanent job. You didn't get it. You can always tell when you have a real friend because when you made a fool of yourself, he doesn't think you've done a permanent job. In other words, that you're going to stay a fool forever. That's a real friend. Not, you know, you made a mistake, but that's all right. I know you're better than that. That's not who you are. I'm your friend. I'm not going to run off because you made a mistake. Well, don't, I mean, God's never going to leave you because you make mistakes. See, that's the kind of thing. You, it's, it's so basic, but you've got to get that. The love of God covers a multitude of sin. Hallelujah. Remember, friends are less concerned about obeying. Excuse me. Remember, friends are less concerned about disobeying than they are about disappointing. Their focus shifted, the disciples' focus shifted from the commandments to his presence. They shifted from assignments to relationship, right? Again, a couple of verses, if, if we could maybe um, put this up. Look at, put up Proverbs 27, 6 for a moment. And I mean, like I said, what a friend is. And this is about how God, God never condemns, but he does convict. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, again, every time you see the word friend in the Old Testament, it's, it's this covenant word. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kiss of an enemy are lavish and deceitful. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. See, if you have a true friend, well, a true friend knows I can tell you, dude, you need to stop this, or, you know, dude, you know, let me help you here. You're making a mistake. This is going to cause anguish. And I love this verse, too. Psalm 141.5. Psalm 141.5 hit me all these many years ago when you really look at it. Psalm 141.5. I'll have a coffee. Psalm 141.5. Come on, a favorite brown. Let, let really look at it. Let the righteous man smite and correct me. It's a kindness. Oil so choice. Let not my head refuse or discourage. That's the part I want you to see. What he's saying this is a righteous man. This speaks of friendship. It says, let a friend correct me. Let me really value it for what it is to have a true friend. When I have somebody that actually loves me enough to bring correction to me, he said, you need to see oil, remember, was a, was a real measure of value. You know, like the widow when Elijah came and kept the vessels of oil kept multiplying because oil was worth money. But it says, when you've got a friend that loves you enough to correct you, he said, you need to judge that as oil so sweet, oil so choice, so valuable. Don't ever let your soul refuse the fact that you've got that kind of a friend. See, you got to now see this in the relationship of Almighty God. God corrects us because He loves us. If you're without correction, the Bible says in Hebrews, you're a bastard. Whom God loves, He corrects. But see, you need to have the attitude when God corrects you. I don't run. This is why conviction draws you to God, condemnation pushes you away from God, remember? And see, so many people, the moment they hear, they become aware or they're challenged in an area about some area 
that they're not doing as wisely as they should be, well, the devil wants you condemned and because it'll just back you off and you, I'm never coming back to church again because I don't want all that. To, you know, but see, conviction says, wow, thank you, Father, that you showed me again. Thank you that you're so patient. Thank you that you're so patient that I can come to you again and again and again, and you will not ever leave me. You will never push me away. You're my friend. You're my friend. You will never push me away. Hallelujah. And see, that's vital. So remember, friends are more concerned about relationship, and that's who God is to us. And, I, and let me just read it again. I think I last anyhow, because we are now his friend, we no longer work for his favor, but we work from his favor. Now he entrusts us with more of his power and we're naturally changed into more and more of his likeness. This is why, and this is when it gets crucial, and again, this is the whole course, that's why the revelation of friendship is what changes your identity. And your identity is all important because how you see yourself will define all that you do and all that you become. I'm going to say that again. Your identity. How do you see yourself right now? Is there always that latent sense of I'm less, I'm a failure? Because again, the devil always wants you to focus on your shortcomings. He always wants you to focus on where you fall short. But see, God will always talk to you and take you to your strengths. Hallelujah. Uh, you know, one of the basic things, Gideon, you know, hiding in the wine press. Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Well, he was hiding. He was trying to sneak some grain away before the enemies came and took it. But God says, you mighty man of valor. And remember, we talked about that before. But to me, it's again, one of the mightiest things. God always speaks to the good in you. Listen. My God is my friend. He's your friend. He will never speak to the negative in you. He'll speak to the good in you. I'm telling you, study your book. Don't take what preachers have said above what God has said. See, correction isn't rebuke. I said correction is not rebuke. You welcome correction if you're wise, man. You welcome correction. But that's why you can tell when somebody is correcting you can tell when somebody's speaking from love or when somebody's trying to kind of just make you feel bad can't you you can tell in a moment it's an amazing thing that's why i always refer to dr cole when i was with him and like i said he chastised me so incredibly hard one time i thought my god my brain's going to explode but he had such a spirit of father fatherly love on him that when i walked out of his presence i felt like i'd been given 14 ice cream cones and that's because he carried that in the spirit. This is why lovers teach you more than haters. I mean, of course. But this is why you can tell it's far easier to receive from somebody that you know that they love me. This person loves me. This is my friend. And you know how easy it is to want to immediately reject correction? No, no, I don't know. That's not who I am. You're crazy. That's not who I am. That's in your head. But if he's a real friend, you need to go away, go, go away and maybe go, hmm, I wonder why he thinks that. You know, in all criticism, there's normally some truth. You don't just throw it all away. Why does somebody see me like that? 
Well, I have a, Julie and I, we knew this woman way back when in our old church, way back when out in High Wycombe. And she felt like she was kind of a prophetess. And, you know, she had some insight into some things. But everywhere she went, she left a bad taste in people's mouths because she carried a sense. She had this air of superiority. She had this air of basically, I just know more than you do, right? And um, she was began because of that. You know, she all in the name of, she was always trying to prophesy to somebody in the church, say something to somebody in the church. And a lot of times it did so much harm. And finally, I had to call her aside. This is the last thing pastors, pastors don't want to have to correct people. We don't want to have to correct our children. But I had to pull her aside and I said, Do you, I said, ask yourself a question. Is it or is it not true in the last three churches, because I investigated in the last three churches, everywhere you've been, you know, they kind of asked you to leave. She said, well, yeah, but that's because they didn't accept my gift. And I said, well, I said, I actually know a couple of these pastors. And I said, that's not who these guys are. I said, you just seem to go from place to place to place. And I said, you leave a bad, and I said, you leave a bad taste in people's mouths. And I was trying to love her, you know. I, I looked at her, I said, is that really what? I said, whether you like it or not, do you understand that's what people feel from what you say is your ministry? I said, you know what that's called? I said, that's called being stigmatized. There's a stigma about your life because you carry this bad kind of attitude, this stuff that repels people instead of attracts people. Please, I said, for the love of the Lord, please bow your knee to him. Get into prayer. Get away fast and pray for a while. Do something, but look into your heart. Ask yourself the question, why do people perceive me this way if I'm not this way? Could there be some truth in how people are perceiving me? You hear what I'm saying? See, that's where that that's the kind of attitude you have to have. You need to be correctable, don't you? You need to be able to receive correction as well as praise. I love what old dad Hagen said all those years ago. He said, either one of them will kill you. You need to let praise or criticism roll off your back like water off a duck because they'll both kill you. But it's easy to be praised, but I'm saying you need to be open to correction. My God, that's, he's our father and he will correct us, but he does, it's not rebuked. It's He's trying to get you more in line with heaven because he wants you blessed. That's what a real friend does. I want you blessed. I want you blessed. I want you blessed, man. I want you blessed. That's why you have to tell some people, keep doing your repetitions. Hallelujah. <laughs> Sorry, that's personal between me and somebody. I'm just going to keep smiling. Friendship is based upon <clears throat> love and loyalty. Love and loyalty. There's three major factors in covenant friendship. One is unconditional love number two is reciprocal reciprocal giving between one another number three is mutual trust and see I think about like the marriage like with Julie and I you know we have see this is the thing covenant keeps you covenant friendship keeps you through all kinds of misunderstanding Julie and I actually I've been married to this woman now for some 34 years it's going to be 35 years this October she has given me unconditional love. Am I saying that she hasn't irritated the you-know-what out of me at times? No. See, she doesn't have that problem because being perfect as I am, she never has to deal with that. 
Hallelujah. No, but honestly, there's an un... We have an unconditional love between us. And this is why in Love Walk, I teach this for a couple of hours, the thing about the moment you put a condition, you create separation. I'll love you more if you pick up your socks. It's a little simple thing. See, Denise is always saying that about, you know, that's what Denise put that prayer request in. Please pray for me. David leaves everything on the floor all over the place in the bedroom, you know. But see, if she makes that a condition of giving her full love to him, then that creates separation. It doesn't bring cohesion. But anyhow, covenant friendship is unconditional love. I love you not because you perform well. I love you because you're my friend. I love you because we're in covenant. And like I said, then there's this reciprocal giving. Julie and I love each other. She's always giving to me. I'm always giving to her in different ways. Little silly things. I mean, little things, but it's just that I, I want to do, I want to fill the dishwasher for her. Sometimes she doesn't like me filling the dishwasher because I don't do it like she does. But I think that's an issue between all husbands and wives, personally. I know how to do it correctly. You know, truth is truth. But I mean, I, I enjoy doing that for her. You know what I mean? She really enjoys, I mean, I do not eat breakfast for, whatever, for many, many years now. I don't, unless I'm in America. For some reason, when I'm in America, hallelujah, hash browns, two eggs over easy and bacon. Let's go. Hallelujah. But for some reason over here, I just don't eat breakfast. I haven't eaten breakfast in probably seven years over eight years. But every single morning, Every single morning, without that, Julie offers me breakfast. Honey, can I make you breakfast? And there's times I'll say, I, you, you know I don't eat breakfast. But that doesn't make any difference to her because she wants to give to me. Do, do, can, I, can I make you some eggs? Can I make you something? Can I make you some breakfast? See, there's this, there's this something where we like, I like giving to her. My greatest joy is when I come into some you know, some money that I didn't know I was going to have is to find her something because I, I'm not able to all the time. And Julie, I mean, you know, her joy is always to tell me I can't have a cheeseburger. She, you know, it takes so little for a man to be satisfied, quite honestly. Just let me have a Dr. Pepper and a cheeseburger and chips. All right. Wife, you are incredible. Hallelujah. But then, like I said, a mutual trust. This is what God... See, this is the thing. You must trust God because God trusts you. It's an incredible thing. We fight and fight and fight to believe God. But you really need to meditate on the fact that God believes in you. God believes in you. Remember, you've heard that old saying that we're the only plan God has? Think about that's the truth. On this earth, salvation coming to the lost mankind is totally dependent on us. How will they hear without a preacher? I said, salvation coming to mankind is totally to depend upon us, human beings. You and I are his only plan. He believes in you. What a revelation. God believes in me. I've sometimes sat, like I said, in my chair, and I've just said, it, Father, you actually believe in me? And he goes, yeah, I do. I don't know how to tell you how profound it is. I do. I believe in you, Rod. And first thing I want to say is, but... But how about that? But, but, 
And he actually ignores it, just like he does in Scripture when Gideon makes his excuses, when Moses makes his excuse, when Abraham made his excuse. God doesn't even answer it. He speaks to the gold in us. He speaks to the good in us. He speaks to, that's what a friend does. You're going to make it. You're going to be blessed. I mean, you're awesome. You, you know, you really are a blessing going somewhere to happen. We're to carry that in our DNA because that's what his DNA is. And his DNA is actually in us. So it's not that difficult to do. That's the difference between the devil and God. Anyhow, hallelujah. Mutual trust. I trust my wife implicitly. I really do. I mean, I really do. All these years of marriage, I've said this before, and I've even had people tell me, don't say this, don't say this, because you might cause something to happen. Aren't you afraid the devil will come? And You know, and it's, I like what Brother Hagin used to say. When Brother Hagin used to say, I don't get sick anymore. And this other pastor would say, shh, you don't want the devil to hear you say that, don't you? And Brother Hagin yelled, that's exactly who I want to hear it. Jesus name I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus you know and I would say and I've said this several times I have never had one iota one iota of distrust about my wife like ever being unfaithful in any area do you hear me now for a husband to actually 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 know because my wife's a good looking woman now forgive me I know how old my wife is, and every once in a while I see other women that are her age, and I go, oh my God, am I blessed. <laughs> Woo! Man, alive. And I, we still, we walk through places, and guys still turn their head and look at my wife. You know what I mean? And I kind of do this. Instead of getting mad, I kind of go. <laughs> That's right. That's right. My mama's bad. That's right. Mama, hot. My wife is hot. Hallelujah. I'm blessed of God. I am blessed of God. But the point is, I, she's never, because she's never, never, ever, ever, ever given me the iota of any reason to. She is a faithful woman, man. She is faithful. She's not caught up in, you know, like I said, you know, her past and all that stuff. Like I said, when I first met her there Hampstead Bible School, like I said, these guys that pull up that own 14, you know, jewelry stores and driving their Rolls Royce and they'd rub up. Can, is Julie, I understand Julie Cannes back in London. Is, is, I understand she's here at this church. Can, I'd like to talk. Any of them comes to take her out, you know. Julie goes, eh. And since this other guy comes up that owns these yacht, yacht boat builders up in Norwich, old friends, old boyfriends coming up and offering her all kinds of money and stuff. And, and she just chose God. And, and, listen, and she chose Rod. Hallelujah. But there's a trust between us. But see, this way you, you need to find out who God is. You'll never find a reason to distrust him. If you ever discover who he really is, he will not, that thing in Hebrews, I will not, I will not, what, put that verse up. I forget which one it is in Hebrews 11, right? Hebrews 12. He, can you put that up? Favored Brown? Sorry, I call her that more. I call her Elizabeth because that's her email. Huh? Can you put her up there for me, girl? <laughs> what time is it? My, wa- my watch stopped for a while this morning. I was 
Judy came in and said, it's time to go. My watch said 8.10. I said, no, it doesn't. Anyhow. Oh, my gosh, it's only 11.30. No, 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 no. No, they're, they're trying to get it back then. You know what? The one that says, I will never forsake you, right? But in the Amplified, I want you to see it because it gives, what is it, baby? 13.5, Hebrews 13.5. My wife, my living concordance. 13.5. Get it up there, Elizabeth, right now. Thank you. That's the end here. But you know where it says, I will never, okay, put the beginning of it, put 13.4 up, we'll just read it through correctly. Let your character and moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, craving for earthly possession. Be satisfied with your presence, that's what you have to have. For he, God himself, see, not someone else, but your friend, your covenant partner, God himself has said, and this is what a friend looks like. Jesus said, you're my friends. For God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, give you up, nor leave you without support. Now see why it says, I will not three times. This is something we had to study way back when at Ramah in the Greek. It's called a triple imperative. It actually says this is the strongest form of Greek language there is known to the Greek alphabet, to the Greek vocabulary. It's the strongest statement that can ever be made with language. It's a triple imperative. God just doesn't say, I won't leave you. He says it three times. He triples it, which again is compounded. It's compounded. It's compounded. It's not a little bit of love. It's not a little bit more love. It's love upon love upon love upon love upon love upon love upon love. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree, any degree, leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you, assuredly not. Well, maybe, unless you, unless you don't tithe, then I'm killing you. No. No. But see, this is also a description of our covenant friend. Are you, can, please tell me you're listening a little bit. This is who he is. This is what a friend looks like. This is what the disciples heard in John 15, 15. You are my friends. Friendship meant so much more than we think it means today. I said it in the beginning, I'll say it again. You have many, 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 many acquaintances. But the truth is you have very few friends. Friends. Everybody needs it. One of the prayers I find myself praying for people a lot is just that. Because I meet people all the time. I don't I can just tell. Well, sometimes I've known them for a while and I can see it, but they simply, they need a friend. That's all. So many of their issues would be non-issues if they actually had a true friend. So I found myself to, I, God spoke to me once, said, that's one of the most powerful prayers I ever want you to pray. Pray for people to have a real friend. 
Somebody that remember it means unconditional. I know Julie knows every well, not every probably because I'm not that perfect at hiding things. But Julie knows a billion issues that I still carry. You know my shortcomings. She lives with me. She sees my imperfections all the time. She does. There's so few, but anyhow. But she sees my imperfections all the time. But she is with me. She is not leaving me. She's not going anywhere. And she's not chained. But she's committed. We have a covenant. I have made her so angry at times, ma'am, I'm telling you. One was just a couple of weeks ago, she beat me. I'm telling you, she starts. She started slugging me in the back as I was trying to get away. Pow, pow, pow. That little fist of that fist of hers hurts. I still bear the bruises right now. Wife, husband beater. No, but I mean, I have. I've made her so angry. I mean, has she ever made me angry? Moving along. No, I know I'm making it's like a joke, but but see, she loves me. Her love for me isn't based upon my everyday need for perfect performance. My love for Julie is not based upon my everyday everyday need for her to meet some list of desires I have every day. Do this, cook this this way, make that this way. You know I want my coffee hot. You know how many times did I tell you? I just want two washcloths over there. Not one, not three, two. That's not the case with me, but I'm just saying little stuff. That's what, you know, that's what husband and wives get in fights about, right? I mean, we get in fights about serious stuff. The classic one always being, do you like your loo paper over or under? Everybody knows it's supposed to be over. But then men and women, husband and wives will get in fights based upon stuff like that. And they'll actually, it'll build till they get so angry they want to separate. You know, we really fight about really important things. You know what? I, anyhow. But see, this covenant friendship says, I'm never, I'm not going to leave you because you make a mistake. I'm your friend. I love you. This is why our identity changes. I mean, this is why, okay, this revelation. How we see, I mean, you know, I could go on this for an hour and a half, this one sentence. How we see ourselves defines all we do and it defines who we will become. When you really, listen to this statement, when you really know who you are in God's eyes, that he loves you, that he's your friend, he's your friend, the opinions of others can never cripple you. The opinions of others will never cripple you. I have God as my friend. Hallelujah. And Jonathan and David, like I said, are so powerful because they go for one of the things. Let me make this measure really quick. Then I'm going to come to an end. Real friendship, covenant friendship, spans generations. David and Jonathan 
came into this covenant because they loved each other so deeply. They felt this covenant to the point that, remember, Jonathan was more faithful and loyal to David than he was his own father. In other words, covenant can transcend relationship. That's why a friend, covenant, is closer than a brother, right? But also, David was so committed that after Jonathan had been killed, and after the war ceased, there's this incredible verse where it says, David stands up, the first thing he says is, is there anyone left of the house of Jonathan that I might show loving kindness to? Again, loving kindness, mercy, all of those are covenant words, friendship to. And they said, well, there's this one person, Mephibosheth, who was Saul's grandson, Jonathan, yeah, Saul's grandson. And the kid, when they'd heard that David's army was coming, the person that was taking care of Mephibosheth when he was young was rushing out. The nurse, the Bible says, was rushing out, and she dropped him, and he did something to his ankle, and he was lame for his entire life. So somebody tells David, Mephibosheth is there with him, grandson of Saul, son of Jonathan. David says, so the Bible says, David sent and fetched him. Funny word phrase, but listen, David was the king of all, he was the most powerful man in the whole world at that time, at this point. When David, the king, sends to fetch you, he doesn't go with somebody on a bicycle. I mean, it was like a caravan, trumpeters, drummers, you know, people on horseback. I mean, when David... When his people were going to fetch somebody, everybody in the world knew that David was fetching somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he goes and brings Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth comes and bows, and Mephibosheth has this attitude. He said, oh, Lord, Lord, David, David, who am I? Such a dead dog. He literally says, who am I to come here to be such a dead dog, that I be such a dead dog as I am to be before the king? Well, of course, just like I said, David doesn't even answer that. Because David doesn't see that. All he sees is his covenant with Jonathan. And he said, bring him in. He said, from this day forth, he will sit at the king's table. He will eat with me for the rest of his life. Covenant friendship not only spans... generations, it spans, like I said, dimensions. But this first part, covenant goes way beyond just this generation. See, it's like if... If, you're, if you are a friend of mine, I'm going to love your son. I'm going to love your daughter. I'm going to love your sons, your granddaughters and your grandsons. I actually love Kenny and B. See, I mean, they betrayed me and left and hurt me deeply. No, I mean, God led them, of course. But, I mean, I do love Kenny. Uh, Kenny what's his name? Kenny? Is it Kenny? It's Kenny. I love Kenneth and B. I do. And their two daughters, I love them. Do I know their children like I know them? Of course not. But I know whose children they are. For that reason, I would give my life to save his children. Seriously. Somebody, if I saw somebody about to do harm to one of their girls, they would have wished they'd never even began because the old man still has some stuff in him somewhere. But I'm saying, see, this is, this is the thing. When you really get the revelation that God's your friend and you're the friend of God, you have so much greater faith for your own children's future 
and your grandchildren's future. Because God's my friend. He's going to bless my family throughout the generations. It's not because my husband's the best husband. My wife's the best wife. It's because I have God as my friend. And that becomes a crucial thing. You don't, identity is a whole issue. You no longer try so hard to fit into somebody else's expectations. We simply want to be closer to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said this, though, about Jonathan and David. He said, any man can selfishly desire to have a Jonathan. In other words, somebody that's so loyal to you, so faithful to you, you know, that man, I mean, you can count on him at any moment. But again, this is what Spurgeon said. Any man can selfishly desire to have a Jonathan, but he is on the right track who desires to find a David to whom he can be a Jonathan too. See, this is the thing that exchanges when Christ begins to really live in you. I'm not looking for somebody to be loyal to me. I am looking for somebody that I value. I want to see somebody that I see these wonderful traits in. I want to be a I want to be a Jonathan to them. See, I, I want to be a Jonathan to Julie. I want to be there for her. It hurts me so deeply when I, quote unquote, don't have what she needs. But I want to be there. And this is, should be part of the call on all of our lives. Father, who might I be a Jonathan to? See, we have to be rid of all, quote unquote, selfishness, where it's all about finding somebody to bless me. It's just at the, it's at the crosshairs of our heart before God always. Anyhow, hallelujah. So anyhow, that's a basic thing about what happened when Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. I am going to show you everything that the Father has shown me. Now, that's, that's the area that I, like I said, I know is so connected to the Holy Spirit that I'm really seeking myself. I believe it's in me. Every answer, every solution, because I'm his friend. Christ in me, I'm in him. John 17, you know the prayer. I'm in you, you're in me. We're both in the Father and the Father's in us. I mean, duh. You know, we just read it. But in heaven, it means something. Heaven actually believes what God said. <laughs> you know what, I'm going to stop right there. i got a ton more. And I think maybe, maybe when I come back a couple of weeks, I can continue on here. Um. Give me one more second. I want to see if I, I'm trying to remember. I had another comment. I was going to make or not. I have 37 pages. Anyhow, let's pray. But let's pray, okay? Let's, let's think on these things. I said let's really think on these things for a bit. Yeah. You guys can come on up. It's all right if you want. Um, does anybody remember anything I've said? Anybody remember anything I've said? Hopefully, a little bit of your definition of friendship has been challenged a bit, Right? Please look more into what it means to be the friend of God 
And know that God, see, through Jesus, has already called you his friend. He is in a covenant with you made by blood, the blood of Jesus. If I gave you the illustrations about one tribe, well, let me just go in the, the, the most pure picture of what covenant looked like in ancient civilizations that you read about in H. Clay Trumbull's book was this. You have like one tribe of natives here, another tribe here. One tribe is incredibly skilled in agriculture. They know how to grow food, but they don't know how to fight and protect themselves. This tribe is a warrior tribe. They're fighters from the beginning. They know how to do war, but they're no good at making food. So it seems natural this tribe and this tribe come together, right? Because one can help the other. And what happens is, you read this, like I said, over and over and again. I, I mean, it really is amazing to read this book how, over and over again, just the history and the stuff from Schweitzer and all these people. You know, and, anyhow, and what would happen is they wouldn't all, they'd all sit at a table, but only two were chosen to enter into the covenant, but they demonstrated all of the tribe's involvement. So with the warrior tribe, they chose like the toughest meanest, the champion. They chose the champion of all the fighters. In the agricultural team, they chose the guy that was the chief who seemed to, as it were, have the green thumb. You know what I mean? The very best agriculturalist of them. And they came together and an animal was cut. A cut was made in their hands or their arms or their cheeks. And of course, they put their hands together. You know, we the American Indians, blood brothers, as kids in America, we all grew up becoming a blood brother with friends. We'd cut ourselves a little bit with a knife and put that blood together. And we didn't even know what we were doing, but that's what that was all about. And they would grab hands, and what was happening, their blood was coming into their blood, and their blood was coming there. They were becoming one. And they both, they slew this animal, and they stood in the middle of the blood of the animal, and they made declarations of every blessing that would come upon each other's tribe for keeping the covenant and they made a declaration of every curse that would come upon their tribes for breaking this covenant but see what happened to the to the animal the animal was then taken barbecued and served to all the tribe because both tribes everybody in the tribe was witnessing what their champions did they didn't all do it but their champions did can you see the picture immediately their champions did but every, and then they served this food, this bull, this meat, this barbecue. They served it to everybody in the tribe. Communion. When they put that meat, they were putting themselves into absolute full agreement with what they just witnessed. You see that? Handshakes in my father's day, where they didn't even have to, they wouldn't even write a contract. That's where handshakes came from. A handshake was holy. A handshake means we're in covenant. Today it's like I said, these rings. Holy covenant. They throw them away. You take them off, throw them away because somebody doesn't satisfy your food desires. But he's entered into an everlasting covenant with us. And us with him. Father, we simply give you praise that you have called us friends. 
My prayer, Father, is that the depth of this begin to really invade the heart of every one of our people here. That they would somehow begin to believe. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 